morning is another installment in our sermon series, a Lent and Easter sermon series, Jesus Up Close and Personal. And last week we heard about Jesus teaching on the truth and the truth setting us free. And this week our text follows that one immediately. And in it we hear how Jesus is walking along and encounters a man born blind. Like all of John's gospel, this text can be understood on many levels, metaphorical and literal, but at heart, it is a simple story of Jesus healing someone in need. Let us listen to the word of God. From the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 25. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned so that he was born blind, this man or his parents? Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. While it is daytime, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said this, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and smeared the mud on the man's eyes. Jesus said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This means sent. So the man went away and washed. When he returned, he could see. The man's neighbors and those who used to see him when he was a beggar said, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is. And others said, No, it's someone who looks like him. But the man said, it is me. So they asked him, how are you now able to see? He answered, the man they called Jesus made mud, smeared it on my eyes and said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And then I could see. They asked, where is this man? He replied, I don't know. Then they led the man who had been born blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus made the mud and smeared it on the man's eyes on Sabbath day. So Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. The man told them, he put mud on my eyes, I washed, and now I see. Some Pharisees said, this man isn't from God because he breaks the Sabbath law. Others said, How can a sinner do miraculous signs like these? So they were divided. Some of the Pharisees questioned the man who had been born blind again. What do you have to say about him since he healed your eyes? He replied, he is a prophet. The Jewish leaders didn't believe the man had been blind and received his sight until they called for his parents. The Jewish leaders asked them, Is this your son 
Are you saying he was born blind? How can he now see? His parents answered, We know he is our son. We know he was born blind. But we don't know how he now sees. And we don't know who healed his eyes. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they feared the Jewish authorities. This is because the Jewish authorities had already decided that whoever confessed Jesus as to be the Christ would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he's old enough, asked him. Therefore, they called a second time for the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. The man answered, I don't know whether he's a sinner. Here's what I do know. I was blind, and now I see. The word of the Lord. It's been a strange week to think about healing in the Bible. And all the news, all the time, is about this new virus. It is, though, a great reminder of how far our medical science and our understanding of illness and germs has come since biblical times. But uh, it also is a reminder of how much we all still feel vulnerable when illness or other issues arise that are out of our control. I think that's what our anxiety over health is about. It's a recognition of our vulnerability in our human bodies. We, of course, want to be as reasonably careful as we can. Uh, We all know it's in our newsletter today, and it's been all over the news, uh, about washing our hands and elbows and fist bumps instead of hugs, (laughs) staying home when you're sick, sneezing into your elbow, all, all of those things. But the anxiety that, that creeps in, the kind of anxiety that makes people hoard a whole year's worth of cleaning wipes, clear the shelves of hand sanitizer, I think that anxiety and that response to just buy everything that we can is about the sense of control that that action gives us, a sense that we, under our control, can keep ourselves safe. People have always wanted a sense of control over the uncontrollable. In Jesus' time, many people believed that if you had something bad happen to you, that this was evidence that you were indeed a bad person, that you or perhaps your parents, because some people also believed that the sins of the parents were visited on the children, that you or your parents must have committed some kind of sin and therefore you were being punished by whatever ailment or bad thing befell you. You're punished according to your sin. This isn't so strange 
so far away from our own mindset. It's not so far from the power of positive thinking or the idea that bad thoughts and emotions suppressed will cause an illness like cancer. Or the idea that if someone is poor, they must deserve that. They must have made some series of bad choices that, uh, and therefore it's their own fault that they are poor. This kind of thinking is comforting in its own way because if I believe that only bad things can happen to bad people, if I'm a good person, then nothing bad will happen to me. I am in control of my own destiny. The Bible actually has a kind of back and forth argument in itself about this idea that you must have done something bad in order to have bad things befall you in order to deserve an illness or a tragedy versus all of these things are out of our control. The book of Job is a really good example of this kind of back-and-forth theological argumentation that happens. One side believes you must be a sinner and therefore you're being punished. The other side believes that only God understands why things happen, and when things happen, it's our job to respond with faithfulness, recognizing God is in control. And we see the two sides of this theological argument play out in this account of the healing of the man born blind. Jesus and his disciples are going along, and the disciples, when they see this man who has been born blind, ask him, Rabbi, who sinned so that he was born blind, this man or his parents? And the disciples, they just want to know, well, who did this bad thing that caused this affliction? And Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. This also can be translated as that God's mighty works in him might be displayed. It's a different twist, but both of them have this thought, it's nobody's fault but God's, and it is for a greater purpose. And then Jesus says, while it's daytime, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus uses this light and dark imagery throughout the book of John in order to talk about his earthly time. And we can sense in this phrase that the clock is ticking. This time is coming to an end. He's limited. And then... This phrase, we must do the works of him who sent me. It's very interesting because Jesus says we must do the works of him who sent me. Jesus doesn't say I must do the works of him who sent me. He says we must do the works of him who sent me. Who's we here?
Well, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's having a conversation with them and answering their question. But he's apparently also stopped near this man who has been born blind. So I think the we here is both Jesus, his disciples, and the man born blind. And these works, what is the works? Well, we see the work in what comes next. We can start with the disciples. They are, in this account, minor but important characters. They're here in the beginning, and then they just sort of fade away. Their work seems to be asking Jesus a question, and then to witness this miraculous healing as an answer. And then Jesus' work here. Well, Jesus uh, makes mud. He does. He spits on the ground. Also very weird when we're all talking about let's stay far away and not shake hands and not touch anything. And ah, But Jesus, he spits on the ground. He uses this to make mud, and then he smears it on the man's eyes. A side note, if you would like to go down a rabbit trail, I did learn that there are healing compounds in human saliva. You can find scientific research on this. It does help heal wounds faster. I do not think it restores sight unless you are Jesus. But interesting to know. So Jesus, he makes this mud or clay, he puts it on the man's eyes, and then he tells him to go wash it off in the pool of Siloam. So this is the work that Jesus does. Jesus initiates the change in this man. And the man, he goes away to wash. He lets Jesus put this mud on his eyes. He goes away to wash And then he returns, and then he can see. His work is the work of response. To allow Jesus to come near him, to follow Jesus' directions, and then return. The disciples question and witness. Jesus initiates change, and the man responds. This, laid out this way, makes it a very simple story. But it is also a very big deal. Because when this man comes back, the neighbors and other people, they just can't believe that this has happened. I mean, it is amazing. It does defy what we know as normal life. So they question him. Well, how are you now able to see? And he gives his account, which is paraphrased. Well, Jesus put some mud on my eyes. I went. I washed it off. I came back. I could see. And the neighbors, well, they take him to see the Pharisees, the religious experts, the experts in the religious law. And they go through this questioning all over again. But this time, 
it gets a little bit heated. I think it gets heated because this healing challenges the expert's notion of right and wrong, of sin and of following the law. Because what Jesus did in making that mud would be considered work. It's a creative activity. It's considered work under the law, according to the experts, and is therefore not allowed on the Sabbath. And if a person does work on the Sabbath and breaks the Sabbath law, he is then a sinner and therefore cannot be from God. And if something miraculous like the restoration of eyesight comes from this work, well, it can't be from this sinner. It has to be from someplace else. The Pharisees, they're using their best logic and their best thinking, their best understanding to try to figure out what happened. And they challenge this guy again and again, and each time he comes back with a variation of the same answer. He is sticking to his story. He is changed. He was blind, and now he sees. It's very confounding to the Pharisees. Also, completely understandable. It's logic and reason. Jesus can't be from God. Because anyone from God would not break the religious law. Unfortunately, the inflexibility of the Pharisees' thinking means that they miss the bigger picture of understanding who Jesus is and what his true work is. And I don't like to paint these Pharisees as um, some kind of villain, which you sometimes see, because I get it. They are really trying to stay true to their beliefs. We have the ability to flip ahead in our book, to know who Jesus is, to see the end of the story. But what he is revealing here in this time of this account is shaking the core beliefs of the religious community. It doesn't take much, just a quick scroll through Facebook to see how much people really hate having their core beliefs challenged. It gets very contentious very fast. I think this is where one place where this gospel story has something to say to us today. In anxious times, times like now when this worry about this coronavirus flares, Medicine and science are so vitally necessary. We need them for our healing and our protection. But science and medicine take us so far. 
And then we reach the end of what they can explain and control. And then we are left waiting and wondering, asking questions that seemingly have no answers. This is where our faith can shore us up. In the gospel story, the disciples ask Jesus a question and get an answer that changes their perspective, their world's view, challenges the perspectives of everyone who encounters this miracle. As disciples, are we asking questions in and of our faith? And when we get an answer, are we like the Pharisees stuck in one point of view? Or are we willing to see answers that shake up our perspective on what God is doing in the world? Are we blind, or do we see? Jesus said to his disciples, Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus said, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We are a resurrection people. We live in the light, not in the night. Jesus said, we must do the works of the one who sent me. Our work is the work of responding in faith to the love of God made known in Christ. The good news of the story of the man born blind being restored to sight is Jesus is his light, our light, and the light of the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you.
to keep us from